This is Illinois in Focus, a production of America's Talking Network. I'm Kevin Bessler. Coming up, we'll review the week's top stories about hearings on assault weapons in Illinois, hiring freezes by Illinois small businesses, a new report on purchasing cigarettes out of state, and the future of Illinois' economy. And we'll get commentary from Executive Editor Dan McCaleb and Editor Greg Bishop. That's ahead with Illinois in Focus, a production of America's Talking Network. Listen to all our podcasts at americastalking.com. I'm Kevin Bessler. Hi, this is Chris Krug, publisher of The Center Square. Our team produces the nationally read and recognized news stories at thecentersquare.com, the country's fastest growing, nonprofit, nonpartisan, state focused news and information site. We deliver essential Illinois news and information with a taxpayer sensibility through reporting that's easy to understand and easy to share with your friends and family. We know that you want to get a quick update on what's happening at the state capitol in Springfield and across the state. Our team writes short, impactful stories that help all Illinoisans understand what's going on in their home state. We know that you need information that allows you to understand what the governor and your local legislators are doing. Our team covers government and the activity of elected officials so you can make sense of how their activity affects you and your family and your future here in Illinois. We know Illinois because we live in Illinois. Get the news that you need to know at thecentersquare.com. That's thecentersquare.com. Thecentersquare.com. This is Illinois in Focus, a production of America's Talking Network. I'm Kevin Bessler. Here are some of the top stories from the past week. The first of several hearings on a proposed bill banning certain firearms and magazines in Illinois focused on victims and public health officials advocating for the bill's passage. Greg Bishop reports. State Representative Bob Morgan advanced out of committee his resolution recognizing the Highland Park mass shooting. And whereas law enforcement officers from Highland Park and hundreds, hundreds of others throughout the state of Illinois at all levels of government work together to quickly secure downtown Highland Park and later apprehend the suspect. Also Monday, the committee held a subject matter hearing on Morgan's bill banning certain types of guns. Victims of gun violence and advocates supporting the measure testified. Jackie Algie from Chicago's South Side lost a child to gun violence. She talked about disparities in response. We don't have people rushing to give us therapy and counselors and people who will work with our children and our communities and people to help to recover from this pain. Opponents of the bill did not testify. That's possible at the next hearing set for Thursday. I'm Greg Bishop. A new survey shows there has been a sharp increase in the number of Illinois small businesses implementing hiring freezes or laying off workers. Researcher Chuck Casto with the Small Business Network Alignable says Illinois leads the country with the number of small businesses who don't plan on hiring workers anytime soon. 82% are telling us that they're, you know, they're holding off on hiring for right now because of recessionary fears. Revenues in some cases have been down. The report shows 11% of Illinois small businesses intend to cut staff, an increase of 8% over November. Casto says once again, inflation is the culprit. So many increased costs for labor, for supplies. It is impacting businesses, and they're, they're just needing to scale back to survive. 61% of small business owners nationwide said high inflation continues to have a negative impact on their financial well-being. A new report shows that many Illinois residents are going out of state to purchase their cigarettes, costing the state hundreds of millions of dollars in lost revenue. Andrew Hensel has that story. A joint report by the Mackinac Center for Public Policy and the Tax Foundation shows that due to Illinois' high sales tax on tobacco, many residents have been smuggling in the product from other states. Adam Hoffer of the Tax Foundation explained why residents are crossing state lines to get their tobacco. Illinois has a, a pretty 
high cigarette tax rate, especially in Chicago. The state increased their excise tax rate on cigarettes by a dollar a pack last year. Michael Lefebvre of the Mackinac Center said when consumers leave the state, neighboring states get the benefits. Revenue flowing to the Treasury in Indiana is a positive one as a function of cigarette smuggling because so many people from Illinois acquire their cigarettes there. Net cigarette smuggling in Illinois increased by more than 14 percentage points in 2020. This increase was more significant than all other states combined. I'm Andrew Hensel. The latest forecast on Illinois' economy going forward offers a wide range of possibilities from an economic soft landing to a full-scale recession. The Commission on Government Forecasting and Accountability provided an update on the 2023 forecast to the Illinois State Board of Education. Chief Economist Ben Varner said, in a worst-case scenario, a lot of people are going to be out of work. So they basically have Illinois going into a recession as their baseline and unemployment rate going up to 6.2% by the end of next year. Revenue Manager Eric Noggle says the key will be the rate of inflation next year. If inflation gets to the point where it starts to reduce sales and that people cannot buy as many things as they used to do, this could eventually hurt to job losses. If there's job losses, that could lead to a recession. Noggle says other concerns that could affect the state's economy include COVID-19, the war in Ukraine, and high gas prices, which affects consumer spending. President Joe Biden recently announced the federal government would use nearly $36 billion to stabilize Teamsters Union pension plans nationwide. Illinois taxpayers are already paying for the state's unfunded pension systems. Andrew Hensel reports. The Teamsters Union has around 20 chapters in Illinois alone, with over 25,000 members. Bryce Hill of the Illinois Policy Institute said while the financial impact on taxpayers could be light this time around, it could lead to more significant bailouts down the road. When you start, you know, looking at, on a larger scale, all of the pension deficits out there, this really just sets the precedent for future payments, whether they be to public or private sector pensions. Illinois currently has its unfunded public pension liability at around $140 billion. Hill said the state is already relying on federal tax dollars for that. But I think that this is a larger indication of what state and local governments have been hoping for in Illinois and trying to get a federal bailout for what is clearly a broken pension system. Illinois' pension debt has increased by nearly $10 billion over the past year. I'm Andrew Hensel. Those are the top stories of the week from Illinois. Find more online at americastalking.com. Coming up for Illinois in Focus, commentary from executive editor Dan McCaleb and editor Greg Bishop. This is Illinois in Focus, a production of America's Talking Network. I'm Kevin Bessler. Are you looking for an interview podcast where you can be entertained and informed? Come check out our new podcast, America's Talking, to hear conversations with great stand-up comedians like Mark Norman. Norm, made you feel smarter than him, even though he was smarter than you. As well as with leaders in the United States, like former Ambassador Andrew Bremberg. I remember the fall of the evil empire, when the wall fell. Every adult I saw was crying. I'm your host, Austin Berg, and I want you to join the conversation on our new podcast, America's Talking, right now on Spotify. Welcome to the Crosstalk segment of the Illinois in Focus podcast, powered by the Center Square. I'm Dan McCaleb, executive editor of the Center Square Newswire Service. Chris Crew couldn't join us today, so Illinois Associated Editor and Senior Capital Bureau Reporter Greg Bishop is here with me today. How you doing, Greg? I'm doing great, Dan. Thanks for uh, thanks for always doing this, and happy holidays. 
happy holidays. We're recording this on Thursday, December 15th. And I was just going to say just 10 days uh, from Christmas, uh, despite the holidays coming up, there's quite a bit of activity going on uh, in Springfield. In particular, hearings are being held this week on House Bill 5855, which seeks to place further restrictions on gun purchases in the state. Greg, tell us about HB uh, 5855 and where we're at in the process. So House Bill 5855 from State Representative Bob Morgan, a Democrat out of Deerfield, it uh, looks to prohibit the future sale of around 100 different semi-automatic rifles, shotguns, pistols, but also uh, looks to uh, make the possession of magazines with more than 10 rounds illegal. And it uh, would say that uh, only people 21 and older could get a state-issued firearm owner's identification card, the FOID card, unless that person under 21 is enlisted in the military. The measure also looks to expand the firearm uh, protection orders and the restraining orders uh, that, uh, that right now we have in place for up to six months. But the proponents of this want to make that a full year. So that's just some of what this bill ultimately does. Where we're at in this process is they had one hearing on Monday where they only heard from gun violence victims and for uh, people who support advancing this measure. Uh, There's another hearing uh, today uh, on Thursday when we're recording this, and it's expected that they're hearing from various statisticians uh, talking about crime rates, talking about crime impact, uh, and a variety of other statistics that'll be shared. The sponsor of this, Bob Morgan, he says that he wants to get it approved before January 10th. Look at the calendar. That's just in a handful of weeks here. Uh, And it's also the last day of the current General Assembly before January 11th when the new General Assembly comes in. And uh, what's fascinating also, Dan, is January 1st is an important, you know, not just because it's New Year's Day. But that also changes the threshold of votes needed for legislation to have an effective immediate uh, an immediate effective date. So if they were to come in, pass this in the House when they return January 4th or 5th or 6th, and then they get the Senate to pass it the 5th, 6th or 7th, uh, then uh, you could possibly have this thing passed and enacted right away. But. The uncertainty here uh, is is clear with gun rights groups saying that they plan on filing separate legis- uh, litigation against this in federal court, hitting on everything from the ban on certain types of guns to the ban on certain types of magazines and the prohibition of anyone under 21 getting a FOID card. Uh, so there are definitely some uh, legal battles that we're going to see lined up ahead. Before we jump in a little bit further to the Second Amendment rights groups who uh, clearly oppose this bill. Let's talk about just a couple of components in the bill. One has to do with banning uh, magazines that hold more than 10, 10 rounds. Now, I, I, you know, I'm, I, I don't own a lot of guns. I'm not necessarily a gun expert by any stretch of the imagination. But aren't magazines with more than 10 rounds, isn't that pretty commonplace now? 
a lot of pistols, a lot of semi-automatic pistols like your Glocks or your Smith and Wessons. Uh, they they have standard uh, 14 round magazines, 15 round magazines. So that right there would make those firearms uh, not uh, not eligible to purchase if this is ever enacted. Uh, and, and then when you get into the rifles, uh, a lot of these semi-automatic sporting rifles like an AR-15, uh, they may come with a 10 round magazine, but it's pretty common. Uh, and you see this if you go to gun stores, they have just, uh, you know, uh, uh, stacks and stacks and stacks of 30 round um, capacity magazines for their rifles. So these are very common. And that's one of the arguments that the um, Second Amendment advocates have is uh, these are very common firearms. These are very common magazines and to prohibit the sale of them moving forward uh, would violate constitutional rights, they argue. So so if I own, if I presently own a handgun that has a, 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 a magazine with, you know, that carry whatever, more than 10, more than 10 rounds, um, am I automatic? Do I become a criminal or what am I supposed to do if this law passes? So the law does stay uh, state out that um, if you are a current owner of a semi-automatic weapon that's listed, you have 300 days from the bill's enactment to register that with Illinois State Police, and you'd have to pay a fee. So for each gun, I think it's like $25. You'd have to pay a fee and be put into a registry for Illinois State Police. What are they doing with that registry? Not too clear, uh, but some worry that it could just really give state police the ability if there's ever a move to confiscate weapons. Uh, they would know what they're going to be able to get at particular addresses. Uh, but uh, when it comes to the magazines, there's still some um, lack of clarity. When I asked uh, Representative Morgan about the issue of possibly turning legal law abiding gun owners into criminals overnight because of the number of magazines they possess that may have more than 10 rounds. He didn't explicitly address that as if like grandfathering people in. He just talked about legislative intent, saying that his intent was this to be prospective, uh, meaning moving forward uh, so that it would limit the number of sales of these magazines. Uh, but, you know, we'll see how this how this works out in the wash. If indeed uh, there's going to be, you know, an effort to try to go after uh, any excess magazines people may have in their gun safes. But and 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 just a minute ago, you referenced uh, you have to register your you know, whatever your semi-automatic rifle um, uh, with state police if you currently own one, and this law passes. In the event that um, there new different legislation, new legislation comes out, and and the legislature says we need to take these guns away from existing owners, that's the slippery slope. That's among the things that Second Amendment advocates are worried about, that this is just the beginning of what could be major, major gun restrictions in the state. Is that right? Yeah, uh, and and that's a, a fear that they uh, have been warning about for quite some time uh, and saying that this is that moment. This is that line in the sand where the gun rights advocates are saying that they just they're not willing to negotiate on this. They've got their lawsuits queued up. They're ready to file. They're looking for donations to help fund their efforts. So this is not going to go down quietly. Uh, while the advocates for this measure, they point to, um, you know, the the issues of mass shootings and high 
Highland Park, mass shootings in Aurora, uh, the regular gun violence that plagues Chicago. Uh, but the gun rights groups, they say uh, statistics cannot cancel out Second Amendment rights, which they say are civil rights in the U.S. Constitution, and uh, that uh, they're they're gonna they're gonna fight uh, all the way into the federal courts. And they look at uh, what the Supreme Court's recently done with a case out of New York saying that it's clear they're looking at text and tradition. The courts are no longer looking at weighing the public interest when it comes to regulating constitutional rights. So with that, these gun rights groups, they anticipate that uh, uh, the groundwork is there to keep these types of laws from happening. Uh, so uh, if this thing was to be passed and enacted, uh, you can imagine that uh, they will file lawsuits immediately in federal courts requesting an immediate injunction to keep the measure from going forward and uh, possibly creating a lot of criminals overnight just by simply owning uh, certain types of weapons. Right. And, 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 and the other and to extend on that argument of uh, gun rights groups is you're making criminals out of law abiding citizens who mean no harm to anybody. But the real criminals, um, the ones who do mean harm, they're, they'll be able to go out in the black market and get guns anyway. Is that one of their arguments as well? Yeah, and uh, even the proponents of banning these types of weapons, um, they say that even in Illinois, it may not be enough because there st still could be weapons coming across the border from Missouri, from Indiana, from Kentucky, who all have much more lax uh, gun control laws on the books. Illinois has among the most strict gun laws already on the books. Uh, and uh, opponents of these laws say it's not keeping uh, violent people from committing violence in the streets of Chicago. Uh, and they also say that it is not right to um, punish law abiding gun owners for what the gun rights groups say are psychopaths uh, committing violent crimes uh, like mass shootings or gang violence. And pushing this story forward just a little bit, you also wrote this week, Greg, at thecentersquare.com, that Illinois once again uh, leads the nation in uh, uh, criminal background checks for gun purchasers or potential gun purchasers. And with this bill pending, very well could uh, be passed before January 10th and make it effective uh, immediately. They're very well. Some think there very well could be a rush uh, in new gun purchases in the state. Yeah, we're talking about the uh, FBI's National Instant Criminal System Firearm Background Check System. And what this does is essentially if you go out and buy a gun anywhere in the country, you go to a gun store and you want to buy, you know, a Glock nine millimeter, uh, then you have to have a background check. Background checks are required for all gun sales across the country. So uh, the FBI does compile these stats and uh, shows it state by state as to who has the most firearm background checks. Now, um, these background check numbers don't equate to the number of guns that are being purchased in a state. In Illinois, uh, the FOID card system, uh, there's regular background checks on the two point some odd million FOID card holders. And that's something state police regularly do. So that's why Illinois numbers are year after year after year. And I went back five or six years and uh, we lead the nation year after year in 
the NICS firearm background check data. Um, but what's fascinating here is if you look back over the years, uh, you see that uh, Illinois uh, back in uh, you know, 2018, there were 2.8 million checks for the entire year. And then in 2019, there were about 5 million checks for the year 2020. When we had COVID and we had the unrest that followed George Floyd's murder that summer, uh, Illinois had 7.4 million NICS firearm background checks, the most in the country again. Uh, and that was up from 5 million in 2019. In 2021, Illinois saw 8.4 million. So even more than the year for COVID. And again, that uh, indicates that there's more people having firearm background checks done, uh, which could indicate an increase in sales, but it's not the total number of sales. Uh, but for 2022, so far through November, there's about 4 million. So it is leveling off, but experts do see because of no cash bail going into effect which is uh, leading to some thinking that it could make streets less safe, though the supporters of no cash bail, they contend that it'll make streets safer and opponents are just fear mongering. Regardless, some people do see the possibility of less safer streets, and that could lead to them wanting to buy firearms to protect themselves, their property and their family. Um, and then also you've got this proposed gun ban and uh, experts also speculate that when you have gun bans, there's going to be increased sales. So while we're leveling off a bit with our NICS checks, our NICS checks, uh, some are anticipating that it's just going to uh, see a, a, a trend upwards uh, again because of these various factors and the overall uncertainty uh, with the economy, with gun control and uh, with crime. Interesting. You can follow uh, all of Greg's great reporting uh, on this story at uh, thecentersquare.com. But let's move on. Uh, Greg, uh, another story uh, we wrote at the Center Square this week has to do with uh, gas tax, the gas tax and the increases that are coming our way in 2023 with record high gas prices um, uh, this this past year, it being an election year. Um, uh, lawmakers uh, suspended the annual gas tax increase that's tied to inflation this past July 1st, but it goes into effect December 1st. And then the regular uh, gas tax increase that comes into effect that goes into effect most years on July 1st, except for last year because of the suspension, uh, that also will go into effect uh, uh, next year. Tell us about this. Yeah, so uh, most of the year, as you said, um, record high gas prices, sustained high gas prices. Uh, but now we're seeing that trend downward, Dan. Uh, we're seeing that uh, we're paying less at the pump. Um, we're still, you know, among the highest prices in the Midwest, uh, and, and that's in Illinois. Uh, but as the trend continues downward for the price of gas at the pump, Drivers in just a handful of weeks here are going to expect to pay more in gas taxes. So it's going to go up January 1st, uh, about 3.1 cents. That's because, as you said, they delayed the annual increase that was supposed to happen July 1st. They delayed that by six months. And if you recall, there was all this uh, consternation about uh, gas pump stickers and the state requiring gas stations to post oh, yeah. a gas pump sticker saying that, hey, we froze the gas tax. 
right? Uh, or we suspended the annual increase in the gas tax. Uh, and a lot of the gas station owners were like, we're not posting these signs. They sued. Uh, ultimately, they, they, they didn't advance that lawsuit. And the requirement was there. Uh, I checked with the Department of Revenue in the state of Illinois to see how many gas stations were charged that $500 a day fine for not posting the stickers. Because, Dan, I see it hit and miss. Some gas stations have the sticker. Some gas stations don't. Back in September, uh, the Department of Revenue said they're not issuing any fines. It's really just about compliance checks, making sure people know that uh, they're not having to pay this extra tax. Well, that sticker is going to be no longer required after uh, December 31st. But what that means is you've got a gas tax increase that's going to happen at January 1st. But then six months later, you're going to have another gas tax increase. And this is an annual increase that uh, is going to make Illinois already second highest in the nation and highest in the Midwest gas tax even higher. Some saying the state is raking in the money for uh, all of the, the gas taxes that go for infrastructure. Uh, and uh, where does it end? When do they say they have enough? That's unclear uh, as they continue uh, uh, getting those dollars. Uh, and we'll see those annual gas tax increases until the legislature says enough's enough. Uh, but yeah, uh, more gas taxes coming. Uh, and it's not just the tax that's on per gallon. It's also the sales tax that's on top of the sales of gas. So Illinois can expect to be paying more in gas tax as they see the price of gas continue to go down across the country. Well, I'm looking at some data here, Greg. Um, uh, California currently has the highest gas tax in the nation at 68 cents a gallon. Illinois is about 60 cents a gallon. But when you add the sales tax, as Illinois assesses, and that's on the dollar, of course, the sales tax is on the dollar, not on the yeah, gallon. Percentage. Right. Uh, that that would bump Illinois above California to have the highest combined gas and sales taxes on a gallon of gasoline. And they're, as you said, they're set to go up, uh, what, another three cents uh, in January. Yeah. So uh, definitely feeling it. Motorists definitely feeling that at the pump. Um, Another story here at uh, thecentersquare.com had to do with uh, the the potential for a recession and what kind of shape Illinois' economy um, is in. What, 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 What can you tell us about this, Greg? Yeah, last week we talked with Fitch ratings and uh, they, along with other economists, predicting there's going to be a nationwide economic slowdown. Now, Fitch says it could be a mild recession. I'm not sure what that means, particularly. I'm not an economist, but they say that most states um, and the, the rest of the country should weather that mild recession. Uh, but Illinois, uh, we've got, uh, you know, uh, not a not a great picture for our finances. We've got legacy debt that continues to increase, uh, including the state's five pension funds with its unfunded liability increasing another ten billion dollars, despite nearly wow. a quarter of every tax dollar going in to those pensions. Uh, so the the market's really uh, driving that, but also uh, the benefits that uh, that retirees get. That's driving the increase oh, of uh, unfunded liability as well. So um, what we had this week was the Commission on Government Forecasting and Accountability. It's a commission that's overseen by a bipartisan group of state lawmakers, and it's got economists, and they do monthly assessments of the state's economy and forecasts for revenue. They presented to the Illinois State Board of Education this week, the 2023 forecast. And um, really, the, the top line here is, Dan, 
they expect either a uh, soft landing. <laughs> not sure. Uh, again, I'm not an economist, uh, but uh, you can imagine being in an airplane and taking a soft landing. It's not fun, but you may survive. Um, but uh, they say it could be that or it could lead to uh, severe and very acute job losses and layoffs, which if you have that happening in 2023, uh, you're not going to see the amount of economic activity as people uh, you know, step back from their purchasing. That means less tax revenue. And also uh, COGFA, the Commission on Government Forecasting and Accountability, uh, they noted that Illinois is not going to have the amount of um, federal tax dollars that we got during covid uh because state coffers got billions uh school coffers got hundreds of millions higher education got billions uh even the private sector in illinois got billions of dollars and i think altogether illinois got 160 billion dollars public and private sector uh when it comes to covid relief there's not going to be any of that in 2023 so that's something else that cogfa's warning uh policy makers that you know, 2023 is going to be a a down economy and uh, it could impact Illinois worse than other states, as Fitch suggested last week. Uh, but in Illinois, they're also predicting that we could see the unemployment rate jump up to more than six percent in 2023. And Dan, you've lived here um, most of your life. Uh, I imagine you recognize that uh, as you watch these economic numbers month after month. Illinois historically has always had a higher unemployment rate than the rest of the country on a variety of reasons. Uh, So uh, just looking at uh, how we're going to be impacted by unemployment, uh, it doesn't look that great for the state of Illinois. Well, thanks for that uplifting news right before the uh, holidays. Right before the holidays. Great. I always, always appreciate that. Hey, look, (laughs) we're we're almost out of time, but want to talk about one last story uh, briefly. Of course, we just had the uh, midterm, the big midterm elections uh, in in November, um, but we're not done with election season. Uh, municipal elections um, uh, are coming in the spring. Um, mayors across the state in Chicago and elsewhere will be on the ballot, and also school boards. Um, yep. uh, school boards uh, uh, will be on the ballot next year. Candidates, in fact, the filing period for candidates um, has begun. Uh, just tell us a little bit about this. Yeah, so uh, just on the uh, uh, city elections, of course, you got municipalities all across the state. Uh, a lot of focus on Chicago. It's a pretty crowded field up there. I think they've got nine different candidates trying to take on uh, incumbent uh, Lori Lightfoot. Some of the main issues there are going to be crime and uh, the economy. Uh, but elsewhere throughout the state as well, you've got uh, races shaping up for, for city council, for mayors. Interesting note, Dan. Indicator, um, Central Illinois, uh, which is just down the street from where I'm at in Springfield. <laughs> they had two candidates filed to take on the Democratic incumbent, uh, Julie Moore Wolf. Uh, apparently, they didn't get enough signatures uh, to, to get on the ballot. So they knocked those two challengers off. And uh, Julie Moore Wolf is going to be uncontested, Indicator. I imagine that's happening elsewhere throughout the state, but that's just a, a little interesting note. Uh, and as far as uh, uh, the activity of those looking to get involved in politics at that level. Uh, but then, as you mentioned, school board races uh, with as much as we've seen in the past few years 
of uh, the the impacts of public education with COVID-19 and the stay at home orders and the suspension of in-person school to uh, the controversial sex ed standards that have been uh, implemented in parts of the state to other different types of uh, controversial curriculum being implemented in the state of Illinois. You can imagine that there's going to be a lot of interest across the states for school board races and uh, candidates are filing right now to get on the ballot for 850 different school districts that are governed by a board. And these boards, uh, they deal with a lot, uh, not just, you know, um, internal policy with hiring and firing. Uh, they also deal with curriculum, but they deal with tax dollars. You know, the largest part of your property tax bill in Illinois, which we have among the highest property taxes in the country, among the, uh, the most taking out of those property taxes locally is your school district. So the local school board determines how those dollars are being spent. But it's not just those local tax dollars. They get a substantial amount of state tax dollars. They get a substantial amount of federal tax dollars for education. But also, Dan, there's still hundreds of millions of dollars that are on the table in COVID-19 relief that all of these school districts got. Just in my backyard here, uh, the the Springfield School District has about 20 some odd million, if not more, that they have yet to um, spend and allocate. Uh, so they do have a set time that they got to spend that in. That may be something that these school boards, uh, whoever does get into the uh, the elected position, they'll have to they'll have to deal with all of that. Uh, so uh, we'll see just how active these school board races are across the state. But that filing period ends Monday. Thank you for that, Greg. The uh, next consolidated election for these local offices that we just talked about is April 4th. There could be primaries in February. Unfortunately, voter turnout um, at these uh, in these elections, these local elections, off-year elections, are is generally significantly down, even though, as Greg just told you, all the reasons uh, why these positions are important and why voters should get to know who the candidates are, where they stand on the issues, and should get out and vote. But Greg, I appreciate, as always, your insight into these very important issues, but that is all the time we have this week. Now let's turn it over to Kevin Bessler for a look at the week ahead. Next week, oral arguments are to begin in the constitutionality trial of the Safety Act, the controversial crime package that eliminates cash bail on January 1st. This has been Illinois in Focus, a production of America's Talking Network. I'm Kevin Bessler. 